just first of all, I wanted to say there's some really good voices around here, so I'm thinking Sutta's the, the uh, chanting group. <laughs> I, can, I can just hear voices better sitting here. Um, if you think about the, the, this chant we did in English where we're talking of the verses from the Dhammapada, I was noticing as we were chanting the, the lines about uh, the one, one with the corrupted mind, there, it's like uh, the the ox pulling a heavy heavy cart, and just the 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 tracks that are ground into the ground. And if you have a, a confident, clear, and confident mind, it's like a shadow that never leaves. So it's, I've been talking about the precepts. Bhantiyasaji calls it. He, he asked me if I was getting on the bus today because I made a comment about. We're on the precepts bus this time of year. Um, and so when you, when you think of the precepts, I think those are good images to think. If we think of the precepts that we have in Buddhism as some, something that's like a burden, it's like dragging, it's like an ox going through the same ruts that have been put there for generations and dragging a heavy cart. We're dragging something behind us. If we think these are the rules we have to follow, this we can't we can't uh, practice the Buddha's uh, teachings until we follow pull that cart all the time. But in fact, the precepts are more like uh, when we have the confidence and the clarity of what we're doing. It's like it's like a shadow, like a friend. It's just that's there. That's that's not a heavy load, but is always present. So try to think of it that way, because too often when we talk about the precepts, people think these are the rules I have to follow if I want to be a Buddhist. So first of all, it's not about being a Buddhist or not being a Buddhist. That's a label that we could just let drop. So it's, we love that you come to a Buddhist temple, and if you become a monastic, you've pretty much taken on that label. <laughs> so it's a little bit, there's a little paradox here. but. What we're talking about whenever we talk about being students of the Buddha, when we talk about taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha, we're talking about the way we are living our lives and the way we're we're practicing living to become the best person we can be. And that's what the Buddha wanted to do. He wanted to find uh, an end to suffering, and he wanted to be the best person he could be. And because of all of his past experience and, and the lives he had led, he was ready to become the best person he could be was to become a fully enlightened teaching Buddha. So uh, when we think about when we think about what we call Buddhism now, it's really, it's really that we take refuge in the Buddha as a teacher, not as a god, but as a teacher. And he was a fully enlightened teacher, so what he taught us, uh, we can experience for ourselves and test the validity of it. And uh, if, if, we don't, if we see something that we don't think holds water or does, isn't true for us, then we can put that aside and we can look at it later or we just put it aside until we're ready to look at it. We may keep looking at it and never see that it, it, it's relevant for us. 
but most of us have the experience and we have to do it with our own experience to see and to, to, to follow his teachings means to follow the same path he took. So to, to learn everything by experience. We, can, we don't take things on faith. We take them through our confidence in his teaching. Um, there may be periods where we're going through a rough time and we have to take some things on faith just to make it. And that's just a faith that, okay, he's been a good teacher so far, and I'm going to, I can't, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm too, I can't even sit down to meditate. My head's too full, but I'm going to take it on faith that I'm going to get through this really difficult time and, and that'll very soon be available to me again. So that's when we use faith, is when we, when we are in a situation where we feel like we're blind, we don't know how to, we don't know what's, where we are at the moment, but we know what the Buddha taught us and we know we can come back to that. So I like those images though. The precepts that the Buddha talked about are the, are, are the moral foundation that people need to, to have to, be, to have a good life, to not have regret and remorse in their lives and to do no harm. They're all about harmlessness to ourselves and to others. So just those first simple five precepts that start with not killing a living being, or, and you can also speak about it as do no harm to others or yourself. Um, the whole concept of the precepts just makes the world a safer, happier place. You don't have to go any further than that. And I think that's, all, that's the foundation of all religions, is to have uh, the wish for people to be safer and happier and be able to, what we used to say, I don't think we use it anymore, self-actualize. That's what the Buddha was probably talking about. Let's go as far as we can go with this human brain and in this human body. Do the most we can do with it. Uh, it's an amazing brain. So let's, let's work with it in the best way possible. And that means to be keeping the world safe for ourselves and other people. So anyway, I like those images. Don't think of, this, don't think of any set of, of uh, living a virtuous life. Don't think about that like pulling a heavy cart around. Think of it as just, that's your shadow. That's who you are. That's you found that these are ways that make your life better and make, make lives, you, you can see with your family or people around you, they're, they're drawn to that. You become the person they, that's the, the level-headed person. The per, that's the, the person with the equanimity and the person that they turn to when they need to talk to someone or when they need to, to uh, have a refuge, they may come to you. So we need to, I think we need to lighten, we need to take the precepts and our virtue very seriously, but we need to really lighten up on thinking of them as, as rules and command, they're not commandments. That when we translate from the Pali, it's all the precepts are about, I undertake the training to observe this quality. So we're, we're training in these qualities, and that means we're watching our own behavior and seeing how it feels. We're observing ourselves. Does doing this make me feel good? 
or does it make me feel bad? Does it make other people feel good or feel bad? And that's a pretty good judge. So that's what we're observing all the time. Is the way I'm living my life, is it, is it helpful or is it not helpful? So now we're on, today, we're on the 10 bodhisattva vows. So these are the scary ones. Because um, it's, it, it's the idea when you think about being a bodhisattva is that's someone who chooses to keep coming back and coming back to this, to a, some form of life on this planet until everybody has, has been able to get off, get off the wheel of samsara, which are the, the countless lives that we're all experiencing. If you believe in rebirth, physical rebirth, we're experiencing it lifetime after lifetime. And if you don't, we're experiencing it moment to moment and day to day. Everything, every, we know everything is, there's samsara, it's that endless wheel. Like, oh, is it, am I have, I'm having another like bad relationship, or here I am, I'm having another uh, job change, you know, the things that might stress us out. Our, our daily life is full of that, just from moment to moment. Here I am getting overly worked up about something a politician said. When I know that I'm, I'm trying to let that go, I know I'm trying to you know, listen for content some other way. But, so we experience that all the time. But when, so the bodhisattva job is a tough one. It means coming back over and over again to people and when someone does become a, a self-enlightened Buddha, that means they've been a bodhisattva for untold number of rebirths. And so they have experienced and seen everything, and they have, they have taken on uh, the bodhisattva uh, commitment to become a bodhisattva. They're just, it's un- unimaginable. Uh, amounts of time that we can't even fathom. And for people like me, I don't want to stick around that long. You know, it's like, that doesn't, that just seems, oh man, that seems like, isn't that a little, isn't that too hard? So when we take the bodhisattva vows, that's what I always first think about, like, aren't these too hard? But, um, but what we're thinking about are the this is a much better way to look at it, so it doesn't feel threatening. The bodhisattva vows, and they're in all traditions of Buddhism, and so the ten, their ten qualities are pretty much, with all Buddhists, uh, they are pretty much accepted as the ten, these ten very special qualities. But what they are, the qualities to be a really good human being. So they can apply to anybody. You don't have to have a you don't have to put a label on them like, well, I'm, I'm studying Buddhism, so these are the qualities of a good Buddhist. Or uh, these are just the qualities of a really good human being. So I think they're, they are much more universal than we, you know, when we start using uh, a lot of Buddhist terms or Pali or Sanskrit, we start making it be like, well, these are, we own these concepts. And that's not true. These are, these are more universal. So there are ten of them, and one day this week I said them all the way through without stumbling. 
And somebody in the, in the, this is in Elkhorn, and the person next to me said, you made it all the way through. Because I'm usually like stopping because I'm humming the little song in my head that Bhante Bhadia taught us. And I can't, I can't multitask. <laughs> so, so the first, the very first one, and this is very important to remember the first one, I think, because it's dana, it's generosity. And that's the whole, we do that whole chant of, what do we call it, I believe, we believe. And uh, it's all about generosity and how, how important generosity is. And you'll often hear uh, teachers talk about that's the, that's the most important quality. And it's, generosity is important, not just because we're always asking you for money to fix this building and do things, which gets embarrassing for us, and I'm sure it gets irritating for you. But that's one kind of generosity. But the generosity that is most, why it's important is, for us, generosity is when we begin, we're letting go of this, of our, we're letting go of everything being about me and for me and it's mine. Like we're, get, we're letting go of energy, we're, we're not letting go of it, we're sharing it, we're giving it. So we volunteer to do things when we'd rather just be, you know, home doing stuff for our family or, you know, gardening our own front yard or cooking, cooking something for our family, <clears throat> not making cookies to bring somewhere for somebody else. So generosity is that is a way we begin to see, let go of that ego, of that personality, that, that selflessness, which doesn't mean we become nothing, but it, we, we see that we're connected to so much, we're so connected to everyone else and everything else that we don't have to have such big barriers around us. And so generosity is when we begin to to see that we share so much of who we are and that that's, that's rewarding to do that. <clears throat> it's not, uh, we're not losing anything. And the more we give in terms of ourself, our energy, uh, the more we give, the more we get back and we begin to see that principle in action in the world. So that's what generosity is really about. Uh, generosity our virtue, which is which, when we talk about the precepts, we're always talking about those qualities to make us be a better person and to help keep the world safe for others and for ourselves. Uh, there was a, a, a monk I was listening to in Northern California up in the forest, and he was talking about how, how many deer there were around the monastery of Bayagiri, because it's up way far, far north. And the deer, the deer had no fear of the people up there because it's all monks and uh, people visiting who are going to study with the monks. So the animal, and he said, all the animals are, are more fearless because they feel safe in that particular area. So you can feel when we're following the precepts, other people, other animals, other beings feel safer. And so we're doing a little, that's our little part in keeping the world safe and keeping the world peaceful. Just that our virtue. So that's the second one. That's uh, uh, virtue, morality. And nekema is the third one, and that is renunciation. And renunciation is just that 
Renunciation is letting go of the things that are not serving us well. And it's, it's good to think of it that way. So we, we can think of uh, renunciation being, uh, you've got to shave your head and live in a cave. And that, that's, that's a form of renunciation. But that's uh, what it really is. You can do all those things and not be renunciating much of anything. But if you're renunciating, you're seeing things like, this doesn't serve me anymore. Here's something that I really thought I needed in my life. And it's really not helpful. It's really a hindrance more than it is uh, a pleasure or a joy or just something that I can have. And renunciation is seeing that and then letting it go. So there are things you can, you can look like you're a renunciate and have a hair shirt on and beat yourself if you want to. But you may be hanging on to lots of viewpoints, opinions, uh, ideas, uh, little secret things like the, you know, the chocolate you have buried under a rock somewhere. Not, I don't think chocolate is something you have to give up, but if, we're, if, you, if you think you're supposed to give it up and so you're hiding it, then that's something you need to look at. But you can look like you're a, you're a full-fledged renunciate in the world and have as many of all those things that are burdens to you. And those are the things that sometimes it just might be having viewpoints that we're too attached to. And we realize it's not serving me well. People are avoiding me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm angry all the time or I'm uh, proselytizing all the time. And it's not, it, I've, you suddenly become aware. I don't think that's really what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be living. And so we can let go of those things because we see that they aren't making us be that, that better person that we want to be. So that's generosity. Uh, what was the second one? Virtue. Virtue. And the third one? Renunciation. And the next one is wiria, which means energy. And it can also mean effort. So uh, people always ask what that, what that one means. So the, if we think about effort, if energy, if you don't connect with energy, I know we all do with effort. So that's the quality of actually doing the things that we, that's the, the movement, the, literally the energy we put forth to do something. So you all came here this morning. You, you didn't have to. You could be out at the farmer's market or uh, somewhere else, more comfortable. But you, but you made the effort to come here. You made the effort to stay awake while we meditated. And a lot of times that, that's a major effort, you know, to close your eyes and relax and then to tell yourself, I'm not going to go to sleep. That gets hard because we live busy lives. That's, that's effort. So effort and energy are very important qualities because otherwise we just will sit back and not do something. And that, be, that can become too easy. Or we can be indecisive. So that, that uh, lack of energy becomes that one of those, the hindrances is lethargy. Um, and that's a spiritual hindrance, hindrance is that, that drowsiness, that laziness, that lack of energy. Because it becomes, it's like, oh, I don't want to, this other stuff is just, 
you know, there's too too much to think about, too much to change, too much to uh, too much to do. I'll just I'll just go back to my old habits. So we need that energy. And then Panya is the next one, and Panya means wisdom. And sometimes I get uh, like I'll talk about wisdom, meaning everything you hear and study and your experiences in life. But there's a more basic there's a more basic uh, uh, definition of wisdom that is to really understand the uh, four noble truths. And because if you understand and you and you recognize in your own life the reality of the four noble truths, that the that the Buddha, that's when he started putting together. How do I tell people about what I experienced when I became enlightened? How do I teach this? How do I like? Why don't I just go off to a cave and enjoy being enlightened? Do I really have to stick around and teach people? And even the gods came down in the heavens and said, we want you to teach, we need a teacher. The teachings get lost in the world. And when they get lost, that's when a new Buddha arises. So he was, they, they kind of implored him to, to teach. So he had to put together his curriculum, you know, he had to figure out, he had to figure out a way to teach it. And so the Four Noble Truths is the first essential teaching. But if you understand that and you see it operating in your life, you're, you're, you're there. You know, everything else is just working from that. So if you, so this is still under wisdom. I don't want to get too distracted. But wisdom, if we understand, is understanding the true nature of the way this world operates. That's what the Four Noble Truths, he's put it together in a list that people can memorize. So it's understanding that there is uh, dissatisfaction, stress, suffering in this world. It's the nature of this world that there's great joy, but there's also suffering. And there's a cause for that suffering. And the cause is that we try to make things be what they cannot be. We try to cling to things and attach to things that are impermanent. And and all conditioned things are of the nature to, you know, rise up and then fall apart. And so that means everything that we grab onto and crave and keep don't want to let go of, we'll lose it. It might be we eat one cookie and there isn't a second one to eat. It might be a, a person or an animal that we love and we lose. We can't, nothing is permanent. And so... The, the dissatisfaction comes from us wanting things to be impermanent. Well, we want the good things to be imper, uh, permanent, and we want the bad things to just go away really fast. And, and that's not the nature of the world. We can't change that. That's part of the samsara. So that's the reason that we suffer. But he said there's, and there's also a way out of the suffering, and that's what he came to teach. So the whole, everything the Buddha is about is about teaching people how to be better people and how to, get, how to take the steps to get out and away from suffering. So the, that's the fourth, uh, the fourth noble truth is this eightfold path that he teaches is the way we, we get on that path and we stay on it. We get out of samsara. We get out of this endless wheel of dragging that cart around. 
Um, so that's the Eightfold Path. So wisdom is, if we think about it in terms of the Buddha's teaching, the essence of the wisdom that we're trying to get to, to own, to, to understand it. So it's what we, we understand it in the way we understand things and the way we get grounded in it is to check out the Four Noble Truths, test it and test it and test it, and, and see if, if that's what you agree with. If you see that that's the basic reason that you have unhappiness in your life, or even just that little bit of things are never quite as perfect as we want them to be, and, that's, and that that is because they're impermanent. So we can't make things stay. We can't make things, you know, we all get old. We all get sick. We all die. And so does everyone else. And things fall apart. Jobs fall apart. Marriages fall apart. Uh, houses fall apart. Cars fall apart. Everything falls apart. And so we have to find out individual lives if we agree with that or not. And if we find that we do agree with it from our own experience, and we do see that that's the nature of this earth, of this world, then, uh, then that's, that's the beginning of our wisdom if we're, if we're students of the Buddha. But it has to be not just because we know we've memorized it, it has to be because we've, we've seen it in action so we can say, yeah, that's, that's true. I can look at everything in my life and see the, the validation of the Four Noble Truths makes it much easier to have that generosity and determination and all those qualities. So that's, those are the first five. The second five, uh, patience. And patience, we need patience because it helps us not be angry. It helps us overcome so many of the other hindrances. It helps us work with ourselves because we usually are most impatient with ourselves. I'm not good enough yet. I'm not good enough to take the precepts. I haven't, so many people, and I don't know if this is true with other cultures, so many people will say, I can't take the precepts because I'm not good enough. I haven't perfected them all. Well, if you've perfected them all, you don't need to think about the precepts. You know, you could go directly to the bodhisattva vows or beyond. We, we take the precepts because we're all a piece of work in progress. We're always in progress. So those precepts are always, uh, there are always like our training wheels. There, there's not a, oh, I'm perfect, so I'll move on to the eight. Or, oh, I'm perfect, I'll move on to the other. So we're, we're doing that, uh, we're impatient with ourselves. And if we learn to have patience for ourselves, other people, especially like our children or our people we're in relationships with, you know, it will benefit them. They'll see it. So uh, patience is very important. It's to just be a happy person. Patience is really valuable. Um, truthfulness. So we're talking about right speech, but we're talking about truthfulness and how we present ourselves in the world. And truthful truthfulness within ourselves, to ourselves. Like, that's part of that seeing the world as it actually is. We want to be able to see ourselves as we really are 
So not only being honest and truthful with others, but like it's okay to see who we really are. It's okay to see those qualities within us that we are afraid to see. You know, it's okay to look at ourselves and think, oh man, I think I don't like being that way anymore. That's okay. And it may take a long time to change it, but it's okay to see it. Uh, patience. So, what? Patience, truthfulness, and the next one is determination. And determination is just having that grit to keep going. Just really, like, this is not easy right now. I'm changing, maybe I'm changing a habit that I've been attached to for a long, long time. And it's not easy to do that. But we just have determination that I'm going to be happier when I finally change. I was talking with Mary Jane this morning on the way here. I have had the habit all my life of trying to stay up too late. Now, I might, I should just surrender and accept that because I'm, it's, it's hard to change your habits when you're old. But uh, my ideal world would be that I'd go to bed earlier and get up early because so many people talk about getting up early and how wonderful it is. But it's been a, you know, it's a habit that's probably gone on for 70 years. So having the determination to at least kind of go back very gradually, I'm cutting back, going back a little bit earlier and earlier, going to bed. So, uh, but a lot of times I just feel like Oh, what the heck, I love staying up late because that's my private time, that's my time, and I don't have the determination. But when I, when I do, when I feel determined and I think there's value in it, it makes it easier. You know, I can keep going. Uh, going to the gym is a new one, too. So I have one day of being very determined about that. <laughs> Working on that one. Um, so determination, we need it for anything we do in life, right? So what are we up to? We better finish. Um, so we had uh, patience, truthfulness, determination, and then metta, which we all know is loving kindness. So that's what we're practicing at the beginning of our meditation. That is, that is having like a constant state of not only having for ourselves feelings of goodwill and friendliness to ourselves, but our goal is to always be radiating that out. Okay? And the last one is uh, equanimity. And well, somebody had the perfect definition of it the other night when I talked about it, that it's, the, it's a dictionary definition. It's uh, staying level-headed in the face of a difficult situation. So it's, it's that balance that we talk about, the middle path, always coming back to that state of balance. So being the level-headed person. So just imagine a level on your head. That's the, I like that image. And you know the little bubble? I don't know if they all have bubbles anymore. They probably have some electronic thing. But you always had to uh, find the get the bubble in the middle, and then you're level. So think of that like your head is in that little cylinder looking for the middle. So we know we, know we all go off, and we, get, we, we have difficult times, we have difficult emotions, we don't want to repress our emotions, but, we, but what we do know when we practice all these qualities is that quality of equanimity is, 
is that we, we know we're able to come back to that level place. So we go through our rough patch. Uh, we're emotional. We have a loss. We really have to grieve it and experience it and be with it. But we have the, this is when we have the faith that we'll come back to that level place. So those are the, those are the times for us when we feel lost. But that's when we have to have the faith that we can come back because that's a, a very important part and the, the highest part of the Buddhist teachings. So when you are always equanimous, you're very close to being enlightened. Like if you feel like you can always be the level-headed one, even, in, even to yourself personally, and you never, th- you never take things personally, that's part of equanimity. So somebody insults you, but you don't take it personally, uh, that those are little tests just on your equanimity monitor uh, meter. So, and we don't take anything personally, and we're able to come back to that place. That's uh, those are the high, that's the highest thing. So, those think of the bodhisattva qualities. Just think of them the ten qualities for a really good person to have. Doesn't matter what label you put on them or what religion you think of them in. Those are qualities that you, we, we can, we're teaching ourselves all the time here. So in everything we do here, all those qualities are probably present. All the teachings of the Buddha, these qualities are present. So um, it would, it's good to teach children all these things. When you think about little kids, these are the qualities that we want them to learn. Doesn't, it's, not, it's not part of a religion or part of a specific uh, path that people have signed on to take. These are just maybe all, at least all Buddhists agree, these are wonderful qualities. And I think all other religions would too. I don't think there'd be any argument about that. So uh, that's, those are the bodhisattva vows, but you have to take the five and the eight first, and then when you're ready to take on. But the way we study those is to uh, have them in our awareness more and more, and and maybe read about them or uh, meditate with them. Sit with the particular quality and just sit with it. When you're meditating, just let it be there. Don't you don't have to analyze it or think 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 it, but you just can sit with it and let whatever whatever your body wants to tell you about it will rise up. This is not we don't meditate to do to do analytical thinking. We're letting it go. We're letting it go, settling deeper. It's not deeper or higher. We're letting it settle uh, below our thoughts. And then we can have insight arising. Okay, thank you very much.